Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. There's a whole lot coming today in segment two. We're going to be speaking with Allison Rivera. She's the executive director of the Public Lands Council. And we're going to dig into the Emergency Livestock Assistance Program. Those funds are being rolled out right now by the USDA. And Allison will give us some updates on to when to expect them and what could be coming down the line. Then in segment three, we're going to speak with Justin Tupper. He's a vice president with the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And we're going to talk about the cattle market price discovery and transparency bill. U.S. Cattlemen has a different view than NCBA, and we want to make sure we talk both sides here on AOA. Then at the end of the program, we're going to be speaking with Ben Scholl. He's a specialty grain buyer, works with non-GMO grains, other specialty crops across the southeast part of the United States, and we're going to discuss just what has happened with that market since Russia invaded the Ukraine, and a lot of non-GMO corn has been pushed out of production globally. So all of that is coming ahead here on AOA. But before we dive into all of that, of course, as planting season gets ready, the American farmer is waiting on products to be delivered by truckers. The world is watching the trucking industry including the White House. On Monday, President Joe Biden held an event to promote their progress the administration has made with their trucking action plan. One group that's been tracking the rollout of the trucking action plan is the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association, or OIDA. Joining me today is their Director of Public Relations, Norita Taylor. Norita, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Let's talk about this trucking action plan. OIDA has been watching the releases on this as they have been coming out from the Biden administration. And Norita, I understand there are some things you folks are pleased about with what the administration has been doing. Yeah, you know, they seem to be saying all the right things and to a certain degree doing some of the right things. And uh, I'll just throw in there, the last administration also did you know, say a lot of the right things. But what we'd like to see is more action. Now, one thing that we do like that is that they are taking action on is forming a task force to combat what are called predatory lease purchase arrangements in the trucking industry. That is something that we like. And they've also talked about uh, parking, which um, listeners who are in the trucking industry will know that there's a serious shortage of truck parking. But at the end of the day, studies and reports are, are great, but we still need to see some actual land set aside, some real estate, some space set aside for trucks to really make improvements in that area. Right. We can't park trucks on white papers. We've got to have it work into the physical world. To that end, Norita, as we're having these conversations about truck parking, it seems like they're growing. Is there some legislative energy to actually, as you say, get some stuff done on this here over the next year? Yeah, there, there are some things going on. You know, they also talked about holding some listening sessions or focus groups with truck drivers, and, and they're looking at detention time. And, and that admittedly is a complicated issue, but the fact that they're at least talking about it and talking about it in terms of improving the industry and improving retention instead of just adding jobs to um, uh, to, to an industry that has uh, quite a big workforce available, but they just need to they just need to improve the working conditions in order to keep people in the industry. That makes sense. And you know, addressing those predatory lease purchase agreements would be one way to do that. Norita, what have you heard as far as a timeline goes on on these task forces turning into action? Do you, do you think it'll happen in 2022? Well, well, the, these advisory committees they're putting together, you know, there's the lease purchase agreement one, and then there's a women of trucking advisory board, and those are supposed to last for two years. Now, it remains to be seen, you know, what kind of action would result from what those advisory boards put together. That That's, you know, a crystal ball that even I don't have. But we certainly here at the association will continue to, you know, push for the things that would improve the industry, such as retention, detention, truck leasing, tr uh, the shortage of parking, all the things that uh, affect small business truckers. 
Norita, on that detention time, you mentioned it was a complicated topic. What What is it about that that makes it such a tough nut to crack? Well, the, the one thing is that the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, which is an agency within the Department of Transportation, they don't really have control or jurisdiction over shippers or customers or receivers. They only have jurisdiction over motor carriers. And that's the real problem is that, is that it's the shippers and receivers that are the ones doing the detaining. So there needs to be you know, uh, they just need to figure out a way to address that. One thing that we've suggested is that drivers be paid by the hour. And sure. And has that did. has that had much of a much of a take up here in the industry? Um, not so far. The other thing is is doing away with the exemption to the uh, FLSA exemption, the um, uh, Federal Labor Standards Act. Ah, so all of those things would need to be changed in order to, to really kind of make a dent in that detention issue. Right. There's, there's a lot of things that need to be considered there. All and right. I'm you sorry, know, one I of the things that the... It's, the... it's the Fair Labor Standards Act. I think I said federal. It's a Fair Labor Standard Act exemption. Gotcha. Well, it's such an alphabet soup in these federal programs. I think we all understand. I did want to highlight the Biden administration did say they have made a lot of progress cutting the red tape. They were cheerleading sort of the amount of CDLs that have been issued since January 2021. Norita, from your experience looking at the world from the owner operator perspective, have you been seeing those numbers climb? Well, as a matter of fact, um, they have. They have issued more CDLs uh, since the pandemic began than they than they have in past. But you know, issuing CDLs doesn't still address the issue of retention. There's you know 450,000 annually uh, CDLs issued that we still need to work on keeping people in the industry. That makes sense. From OIDA's perspective, what have you guys been working on to keep uh, drivers in the trucking industry? Well, you know, our, our job here is fighting for the rights of truckers. You know, there's overregulation, there's legislation that gets pushed for that it goes against what is best for small business truckers, which, by the way, most of the industry is made up of small trucking companies. And so they really are the backbone of the country. And we try to do everything to push back on things that would be harmful to their business and push in favor of the things that we think that would improve the industry, such as uh, training standards and uh, better hours of service. All of those things are important as we think about those small businesses confronting rapidly rising input costs. I know we've got a lot of listeners who are farmers. We saw that spike in fertilizer. A lot of you are seeing it in diesel. Well, trucking companies are seeing it every day at the pump. Norita, are there any other big pieces of legislation White is watching this year? Well, like I said, um, parking is one thing. The Fair Labor Standards Act is one thing. Uh, we're always uh, looking at lease purchase agreements. There's, there's just a lot of things. What I would suggest is that uh, listeners go to our fightingfortruckers.com website for all of the advocacy issues that we're uh, looking at here at OIDA. Check that out, fightingfortruckers.com. We've been talking to Norita Taylor, Director of Public Relations at OIDA. Norita, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Anytime. Thank you. And folks, stick around when we return. Allison Rivera, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council, will have some more details on that emergency livestock assistance program. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. One of the higher risk aspects of farming is crop protection application. With label changes, regulations, equipment maintenance, and drift management, it's a lot of risk. And a great way to manage it is to rely on your local FS and FS crop applicators. They constantly train to keep up with the latest label changes, regulations, and best practices. So your crop is protected and risks reduced. Contact your local FS to learn more about our custom application programs. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. 
I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in today. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be in Montana. I was talking to a group of Montana bankers, and the conversation of drought came up. It's on everybody's mind across that that part of the northern well and southern plains, really north and south along the, the front range of the Colorado Rockies. It is bone dry, and one of the things that came up repeatedly was the challenge in getting feed to those livestock. Well, recently, the USDA announced an expansion to their program, the Emergency Livestock, the Emergency Assistance Program for Livestock, Honeybees, and Farm-Raised Fish Program, or ELAP. Joining me to talk about the details and how cattle producers can benefit from it is Allison Rivera. She's the Executive Director of Government Affairs with NCBA. And Allison, thanks for joining us today. Happy to join you today, Mike. Let's discuss this expansion of ELAP. What was the big change here that USDA made? Absolutely. So I know a lot of your listeners that are producers out there continue to suffer through droughts and and wildfires that we've seen out west as well. And um, after we saw USDA back in 2021 make the change to cover through ELAP to cover um, coverage for feed to livestock, we started hearing from a lot of producers that were get again dealing with unprecedented drought and high feed costs. And we made the request with help from uh, uh, Senator Thune. We wanted to give a big shout out to him and, and his staff for the work that they did to assist NCBA. But we made the request that coverage was, would also be provided under ELAP to haul livestock to alternative feed sources. Um, in a lot of instances, I think that's what we saw producers have to do. And when we realized that we needed coverage both to and from, uh, we made the request and, and sent a letter to USDA. And what we saw last week was USDA granted that request. That is fantastic. One of the things I heard from a couple different folks there in Montana was stories of their customers hauling livestock from western Montana to Nebraska to Kansas to southern Iowa in order to find places with decent grass growing in the pasture. Allison, how do farmers apply for this program? How do these costs get covered? Do we have the details rolled out quite yet from USDA? So if you go to USDA's website, under the ELAP program, there will be a calculator to be able to calculate some of those costs. I believe there's a 60% cost coverage. I think it's not lost on any of your listeners that transportation costs continue to increase due to supply chain issues, due to gas prices. 
So you're going to need to use that calculator to figure out uh, the amount of coverage that you're going to be able to receive. Um, but you know, the best part is that this program, uh, this change that's been made to this program is going to be made now and into the future. So when we continue to see these unprecedented droughts, which we hope do not continue, but there will be a, a little bit of flexibility there for producers to know that they will have some, some coverage and some flexibility uh, when they look to, to figure out how to, uh, to get feed to their, to their cattle. Now, that, that was a really interesting detail you just mentioned there, Allison. So this coverage for moving livestock to feed or bringing feed to livestock, anytime an ELAP is designated, this will be covered. So this is here as permanent as government programs can be. Absolutely. It is, uh, it is there, and uh, it's going to be there for producers to be able to apply for and, and hopefully get that coverage uh, as they need it in the future. And that, that is exactly what we were asking for at NCBA. Allison, these droughts have continued. Talking to our meteorologists here on the program, it sounds like there's a risk they could intensify as we get into the summer. Funding for emergency assistance, how is it looking? Should we have another bad year weather-wise? Well, I, I did want to mention that uh, with this uh, appropriations package that passed uh, a month ago, a couple weeks ago, we did see USDA also roll out the Emergency Livestock Relief Program, and that is a supplemental feed cost coverage for those who were affected from forage losses through a livestock forage program. If you had an LSP application that was granted in 2021 due to drought or wildfire, um, they have, USDA has that documentation. Congress has given us $750 million. The first phase will roll out uh, quickly. That's USDA's hope of $577 million to provide additional assistance, again, to those producers who did receive coverage uh, due to increasing feed costs uh, due to drought, drought and wildfire in 2021. And it's, it's worth noting, just so I'm on the same page, this uh, LRP, Livestock Relief Program, this fund is only going to, these funds are only going to come out if you qualified last year. So if you didn't qualify last year, there's, there's no sense in applying right now. Yes, sir. And they, and they are going to try to make it a little bit easier and quicker um, for producers. So they, they are going to use paperwork that has already been received uh, through your FSA offices. If you have questions, please go talk to your FSA um, offices uh, about that, but it is going to be based on applications that were filed through LFP in 2021. All right. Are there any other additional government funding sources that are in the works right now that are exceptional? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, and again, I'll, I'll give Senator Soon's office a shout out, as we continue to see drought across the Dakotas and, and across the, the Midwest into the West, um, and we don't see this letting up, unfortunately, anytime soon. I think we've continued to have those conversations with offices like Senator Soons and other members of Congress that want to make sure that we maintain these disaster programs so that they are beneficial, not just to our crop friends, but also in, in the livestock space. Um, but also just making sure that as we look to this next farm bill, that those programs are robust, that they're easy to access for producers, and that if there are changes or tweaks that need to be made, such as the one we mentioned with ELAP, that we address those as we move into this, this next farm bill and outside of the farm bill as well. If there are issues, we want uh, members, livestock producers to reach out to NCBA so we can make those requests just like we did with ELAP. Allison, you brought up the farm bill. It is getting closer and closer. Of course, we've got a midterm election to get through in the meantime. But what is NCBA advocating for so far in this next farm bill? Or are you still working on listening and, and hearing from constituents? Well, we, we are certainly going to be doing that. We will meet uh, NCBA policy uh, committees. We'll meet in July at our summer business meeting in Reno. And we are excited, I'm excited in my committee to hear from producers to get those farm bill directives. Um, if I look at my crystal ball, I think what my producers would say today is that they want to protect voluntary conservation programs. Uh, again, they want to work on uh, these disaster programs, making sure they work for producers also protecting those risk management uh, programs that we're seeing an uptick in producer usage, um, but also um, protecting the animal health policies that we put in place uh, in the last farm bill, the three-legged stool, which includes our um, veterinary countermeasures bank, as well as our animal preparedness dollars. As we continue to see 
high path AI, we see the concern of ASS, we always have that concern of FMD. Any type of foreign animal disease, we want to be prepared, which is why we implemented that bank. We've got to reauthorize it and refund it. Indeed, that is crucial as we continue to watch these these spreads of livestock diseases worldwide. Keeping America prepared is crucial. I am going to throw a wild card at you, Allison. We just heard from Narita Taylor discussing the trucking industry. Let's talk hours of service. Do we have some permanent relief there for uh, livestock haulers here in D.C.? Well, Mike, I'm always happy to, to talk about trucking issues. We continue to work on the driver shortage with other groups out there and other supply chain issues. On hours of service, we're still sitting in our ELD delay until September 30th of 2022. We've already started making those requests to extend that through 2023. Uh, in the hours of service space, we're still sitting in our emergency declaration until May 31st due to, due to emergency declaration from COVID. We're going to continue to push that because that has completely exempted our industry and we've been able to maintain that high level of safety. So we're going to continue to use that as a reason for in the future to possibly exempt all livestock haulers from hours of service, which is which is what we want in the end. And as you have conversations with the regulators about that particular issue, getting livestock haulers exempted, Allison, does it sound like they're receptive to this idea or is this going to be a, a tough slog? I mean, I'm not I'm not going to lie. It's not it's not going to be easy, right, Mike? But it wasn't easy to get the back end 150 air mile exemption added into the infrastructure bill either. But nothing that's worth doing is easy, right? So we're going to continue to push that. We're going to use the data that FMCSA is receiving during this hours of service exemption for livestock haulers. We're going to remind those regulators that we are less than 1% of the trucks on the road and our safety standard is high. It, it remains high. It has remained high as we've had this hours of service exemption for almost the last two years. And if that's not enough data for them, I'm not quite sure what is. That's a good point. Bull haulers are getting it done. Allison, if folks want to keep up to date on the policies that NCBA is working on, where should they go? Absolutely. You can hit up ncba.org and you're always happy to call the, the DC office. We're always happy to chat with producers and members. Fantastic, folks. Be sure to utilize the uh, resources that are available to you. We've been talking to Allison Rivera. She's the uh, executive director of government relations at NCBA. Allison, thanks for joining us today. And folks, stick around. We will have more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Tough 5EC is a selective contact post-emergent herbicide that synergizes HPPD inhibitors and enhances the effect of atrazine. Tough 5EC works fast and can significantly improve the control of weeds such as water hemp, almer, and kochia today and help prevent the selection of herbicide resistance tomorrow. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. While the graded soy markets, they're mixed to lower here early on Wednesday, retreating a bit from the early wheat gains. The Russia-Ukraine conflict showing no signs of an end in sight. So we're going to be continuing to watch that weight on our market trade. China has returned from holiday and USDA announced a new old crop sale of beans to China of 4.85 million bushels. Conab is out on Thursday with updated South American production, and the April WASD is out on Friday. So we still have some big reports coming up here this week that could uh, shift and move our market trade around just a little bit. 
Now, really, the grain and oil seed markets here are just looking at different fundamental factors weighing in. Now that we're past the March prospective plantings numbers and more, we have Brazil's safrina corn crop looking good, although the forecast is drier than desired for pollination. U.S. planting season looks to be cool and wet for the eastern Midwest in the weeks ahead, but it's still early. Ukraine largely absent from the world export market as well, with everything going on with the fighting still continuing there. Winter wheat ratings in the U.S. are low. Temperatures going to be getting fairly cold all the way down into central Kansas on Saturday morning and another cold shot possible around Easter weekend. Yet wheat development is still delayed enough that little damage is expected. Really, the Plains drought uh, remains the greater concern as we head into spring. And if we can't get April rains to break the drought, it will be a bigger concern moving on past that. Some of the numbers right now on the board. We see July corn, that is currently unchanged, 748 and a quarter. July beans down four and a half, 1609 and a half. Bean meal slightly lower, bean oil slightly higher. Wheat starting to move higher. July Chicago up five and three quarters, 1051 and a quarter. July Kansas City up six and a quarter, 1090 and a half. Spring wheat for May up three and a half, 1115 and a quarter. While cattle and hogs started mostly higher, but have turned slightly lower. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We are going to be discussing more about the cattle market price discovery and transparency bill. Last week, we spoke to Ethan Lane of NCBA, and he emphasized the reasons they're opposed to the bill. But of course, there are folks on all sides of these issues, including the cattle market price bill. We talked to Senator Grassley on this program monthly. Another group in support of the bill is the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Joining me now is Justin Tupper. He's a vice president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, also works as the manager of the St. Ange Livestock Market up there in South Dakota. Justin, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Let's talk first for maybe listeners who aren't familiar with the name. Tell us about U.S. Cattlemen's Association. How long have you guys been around? Yeah, we've been around for about 15 years uh, and uh, working uh, for the independent cattle producers and uh, uh, cattle feeders in all regions in the country and and uh, really look to support uh, the independent cattle feeder and the independent person. And so to that end, Justin, U.S. Cattlemen has come out in favor of the Grassley Tester Fisher Widen Cattle Market Price Discovery and Transparency Bill. Can you tell us what is it U.S. Cattlemen like about this bill? Well, it's the only game in town, for one. I mean, I think it's the only uh, meaningful legislation out there that has a chance of passing uh, that's going to really uh, work to uh, try to swing the pendulum and uh, and some of that uh, back to the producer and, and get some of that leverage back uh, on the uh, grassroots side. And how exactly do you see it doing that, Justin? Is this the idea of making the, the cattle, the packers, get out there into the countryside, buy more cattle, that's going to put a little more dollars in the independent producer's pocket? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, really about competition when it breaks it down. Uh, we've got to make them compete. They've got to uh, get out there and make sure that they have to compete. And uh, that's what's going to give us the top dollar 
uh, in the end is the competition factor. And I think uh, if, if they've got to buy a certain percentage in the uh, cash cattle market, in the day-to-day, everyday market, which they base all their AMAs off, I think uh, that that's going to be a, a big leverage hand in our favor uh, and give us a leg up so they don't have all of those handed to them and uh, and have everything in their pocket at one time. So uh, it's about competition and I think uh, getting the leverage back to the producer. Justin, you work with livestock producers all the time. Of course, they're in Western South Dakota. That is cow-calf country. Of the folks that you talk to, what's the, the word on the street about this bill? Are you hearing it come up in conversations at the sale barn? Very much so. You know, I think, uh, as um, most people understand, uh, it's not everything we want. It doesn't um, be a perfect bill, and it's not going to solve every problem we have in the cattle industry. I just think it gives us a good start and a, and a leg up. And in this day and age, when we finally uh, have the spotlight here on uh, our industry, I think we've got to get what we can. And, and then we've got to know, understand that it's not going to be a be-all, end-all. We've got to continue to work once we get this legislation passed. Absolutely. So this legislation is going to be making its progress in Washington, D.C. Justin, in the meantime, what other things does U.S. cattlemen think that the industry needs to be working on in order to to function better for those independent producers? Well, uh, you know, I think, again, it really boils down to competition. I think that uh, uh, we we really believe that in a marketplace, you've got to have uh, uh, more than one bidder and they've got to be able to participate. And I think uh, the big four packers have done a great job of uh, working that down so they don't have to compete and they've done everything uh, in their business model to make sure that happens. So I think at U.S. Cattlemen's, one of the things we believe the most in is competition and uh, making sure that uh, those uh, 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 people that are in the marketplace have to compete on a daily basis and 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 that's what we're going to continue to work for. One of the ways I understand U.S. Cattlemen has been working on that, Justin, is with labeling. Um, You folks have been uh, supportive of the U.S. Trade Representative working in consultation with the USDA to develop a compliant compliant version of MCOOL, Mandatory Country of Origin Labeling. Is that something that uh, the organization feels strongly about? It is. You know, I mean, I think uh, I'm no different than uh, where your shirt or your boots or your hat comes from. Uh, I think everybody should have the right to know uh, where their food comes from. Uh, and that being said, you know, we have uh, a World Trade Organization that uh, made a uh, uh, ruling that made it difficult for that to happen. But I think we've definitely got to have truth in labeling. That's what we believe in right now. Uh, you can bring beef uh, in here from another country and repackage it and then call it a product of the USA. And that's just misleading and wrong. And uh, we definitely are working hard to try to get that changed. Uh, we, we understand the uh, difficulties with the World Trade uh, ruling, uh, but we definitely think the truth in labeling uh, should be part of, uh, of what we need to do to uh, move forward. All right. One of the aspects that U.S. cattlemen are working on, another one is local processing. This is a a concern we've heard from from listeners across the country when grocery stores ran out of meat. My goodness, everybody turned to local processors and we discovered there just wasn't enough quality butcher shops out in the countryside. Does U.S. cattlemen support growing the local processing capacity around the country? Without a doubt. I mean, we think uh, that that's an integral part of what we need to bring back. I think uh, one of the things uh, in, in a really broad issue that we, we talk about that is very important is we get some of these smaller and medium-sized packers uh, back online. Uh, we've got to make sure they're sustainable. And uh, uh, the packing industry has uh, deep control as it sells to these uh, retail stores. And uh, so as we get some of these small and medium-sized packers online, we've got to make sure that they're sustainable, that uh, they can be in the marketplace and, and be competitive. Otherwise, uh, they, they'll build them a brand-new packing plant, and the big four packers will own them in uh, no time at all. But uh, uh, we, we really believe in uh, trying to get these uh, small and medium-sized packers online and then making them viable in the marketplace and making sure they have a way to sell their meat. What What is the U.S. cattleman working to ensure that sort of viability in the marketplace? Are there rules we can put on towards the sales of, of meat? Yeah, I think I think that's uh, really the once uh, Senator Grassley and Senator Fisher's bill, and once we've moved forward with that, I think that's the next real bridge we have to cross. I mean, 
Uh, right now, uh, we've had uh, several of these smaller meat packers try to get into these uh, larger markets in the Kroger's and whatnot, and you can't do it because uh, there's such a cartel and, and, and they control in the uh, selling meat side. So I think that's uh, the next place where we've really got to work, and in the, in the, we've got to make sure that the uh, consumer understands where we're at with that. So. That certainly makes sense. Justin, what other policies and priorities do you think producers need to have in mind as we look down at this summer 2022 coming at us? Well, again, I think, uh, you know, a, a big uh, plus word that's talked about is sustainable. And I think uh, profitability is the key to sustainability. So I think uh, we've got to make sure that uh, we can get our uh, ranchers and, and our independent cattle producers uh, profitable again. And when we do that, then we can be sustainable. And that's what we're going to work toward uh, as we move forward and uh, work through these uh, difficult times with higher fuel prices and everything that's going on in the country. That is true, Justin. It is tough out there. Of course, you, you manage the sale barn. Let's talk a little bit Western South Dakota. You were really in the, the crosshairs of that drought through last year. How do things look? What's the conversation among the ranchers in your part of the country? Are they optimistic about this year? You know, still very difficult. We're in the deep part of the drought. We did catch uh, just a little bit of moisture here and giving us some hope that we can uh, I catch some as we move forward, but uh, definitely uh, when you talk about what's on the minds of the producers where I live, it's a uh, uh, second, third year of a pretty uh, deep and dry drought, and uh, hopefully we can uh, catch some moisture and uh, turn that tide so we can uh, start putting cows back in the countryside. Absolutely. It looks so great driving through South Dakota when you see those cattle dotting the hillsides. On a personal or on a, on a local level, have you had some herds have to sell out? Has the drought been that impactful in the neighborhood? No question. Uh, unfortunately, that uh, we've definitely seen some of that. And hopefully, uh, uh, like I said, if we can catch some moisture here this spring, we're going to turn that tide a little bit. But uh, it's definitely been uh, really tough on uh, on all of the producers where I live, uh, it's uh, uh, they've, they've sold down maybe the old end of the herd and then definitely shortened up numbers. And I think we're going to see that as the marketplace goes forward. But uh, we've got to have moisture to put them back out there. So uh, that's what we're uh, praying for. Absolutely. I think a lot of folks are praying right along with you, Justin. If we've got listeners who are interested in learning more about the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, tell us where can they go for more information? Absolutely. Go to uscattlemen.org uh, and uh, make sure you're engaged and uh, telling your congresspeople uh, uh, to support Senator Grassley and Senator Fisher's bill. It's uh, uh, what we believe is the only thing out there that has uh, a chance to really uh, do something in the marketplace. And and uh, we've, we've, we've had the limelight uh, here for a year and a half or two years, and I think we can get something done. Strike when the iron is hot, folks. We've been talking with Justin Tupper. He's a vice president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, manager of the St. Ange Livestock Market up there in South Dakota. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. And folks, stick with us. When AOA returns, we're going to be looking at the market for specialty grains. Ben Scholl is the president of Osterber and Associates. They are a specialty grain trader that works all around the world. He's going to talk about just how that market has been impacted by the Russia-Ukraine invasion. Of course, Ukraine raises a lot of non-GMO corn. Ben buys some here in this country. We're going to talk about what prices have been doing. Stick with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too to be a beacon of strength, a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, 
retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <clears throat> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Thanks for tuning in today to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Over the past several months here on this program, we've looked at the balance sheet impacts of growing different crops. We've seen the competition for acreage from lentils, from pulses, from soybeans, corn, sugar beets, cotton, wheat, sorghum, you name it. Everything, it seems, is fighting for acres this year. Well, that got me wondering. We haven't discussed the outlook for specialty grains. One man who trades this market every single day is Ben Scholl. He's the president of Osterber and Associates in Owensboro, Kentucky. And Ben, thank you for joining the program today. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Let's talk about what Osterberg does. Which specialty grains markets are you guys most active in? We primarily trade non-GMO corn and soybeans. We're located on the river uh, for export uh, across a few different states, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Missouri. Uh, mostly servicing the uh, Japanese markets and trade of different varieties within the corn, uh, white corn, waxy, high amylose, non-GMO yellow, uh, non-GMO soybeans, um, quite a few different products within the non-GMO market. Well, that non-GMO market has gotten a lot of headlines here over the past several weeks. Of course, Ukraine, huge producer of non-GMO corn, big supplier to Europe. Ben, with the Russian invasion, how has that non-GMO corn market responded? Have we seen prices continue to climb? They've, they've climbed uh, moderately so far. I just anecdotally can tell you that there seems to be a lot more interest in U.S. non-GMO products. Uh, as you said, Ukraine really does service a lot of the European Union uh, in, in their non-GMO needs. So I think we are seeing a little bit of that, uh, surely in the interest, maybe maybe not so much in prices yet. Uh, that possibly could be on the table going forward. But uh, I, I think we are seeing a, a little bit of a move in the interest in the U.S. market. Well, are you seeing that come from Asia as well? You mentioned you do a lot of work with the Japanese. Of course, we've been watching that part of the globe as COVID continues to spread. How do purchases look from Asia for this next year? Ben, are there still active buyers? Yeah, Japan for the most part is a uh, pretty stable market. It doesn't fluctuate a lot. Uh, I think there is a little bit of an uptick. I think just with the rise of uncertainty and what will be out there, maybe some more forward bookings have uh, come in as of late, but uh, they're pretty well steady. I think the main drivers of non-GMO interest in the in the near term and maybe even in the longer term is going to be what does the European Union and what does Mexico really want to do with uh, their non-GMO programs and some of the uh, just decisions they've made lately because Mexico in New Year's, let's see, it was New Year's of 2020, decided, you know, they wanted to go all non-GMO exports or imports. Of course, not only has the economy changed a lot, but our global balance sheet of grains have changed a lot since then. So there's going to be a lot of um, policy on the table as to what do they really want to do with their imports? Are they going to stay non-GMO uh, or are they going to go back to a, a GMO product like they have in the past? And to that end, we haven't touched on that issue much on this program, but it would be a huge change if Mexico follows through. Ben, this banning of GMO corn, it, are buyers in Mexico reaching out to explore non-GMO sources in the future quite yet, or are they sort of hoping it changes? Uh, that I can't really speak to. Is I'm more river tributary. That's going to be more of a rail out of the, the western corn belt. I can't tell you just from a, I'm not an analyst, but from what little I, I do know, um, we obviously service a lot of the Mexico uh, needs uh, in the way of imports. Uh, they import around 800 million bushel uh, of, of corn a year. And if they were to flip that all to non-GMO, that would certainly be a shift in, in their buying patterns and what we would need for supply. We could service something like that. However, uh, it really depends on what it looks like, whether they want to do it just for feed for animals or just for uh, human consumption or and still feed GMO to am animals, or if they want to go for a whole scale, all non-GMO imports, which they say they want to do by 2024, but it's kind of gotten quiet really since, since that announcement with the rise in uh, underlying corn price and, and some of the premium aspect of it and transportation as well.
Yeah, it's it's easy to make pronouncements when prices are low and they scream higher and folks are worried about food price inflation. It gets a little more challenging to do these big changes. Ben, you mentioned you're on a river market. We've discussed supply chains a lot over the past two years. From your perspective, how has it been getting river transportation arranged and where you need to go? Well, I think we did an outstanding job in uh, 2021. Given the export book that we had on, it was really a testament to what we can get done here in America. Uh, it was almost flawless, the execution portion. 2021-22 has been a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, the rise of COVID again into the winter uh, left a lot of labor on the sidelines, uh, which meant boats not getting turned as fast. It's been a challenge with the northbound program. We've had a lot of fertilizer moving north, which means instead of just pushing empties to uh, people like me to load corn on, they have to bring them up, unload fertilizer, clean them, and then give them back to us. So it just slows down a lot of uh, different things. Of course, we had the challenges in September with the tornado down in the Gulf. Uh, there was a lot of cleanup from that. So it's been much more of a challenge to uh, get grain out of here. Uh, with the rise of oil, we've also seen uh, in diesel, we've, the price of barge freight has gone up uh, pretty much because of all those different scenarios. Yeah, it is not getting any easier to ship products around the country. That is certainly true. Ben, if we've got any listeners who are curious about non-GMOs where can or growing specialty grains, where could they go to learn about Osterberg? You can reach us, uh, you can read about us at our website at uh, osterberg.com. That's O-S-T-E-R-B-U-R.com. Uh, our office number is 270-713-0541, or I'm on Twitter at Otto Scholl. Or Otto Scholl. At Otto Scholl, you can check him out. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you very much. And folks, tune in tomorrow. AOA will feature Arlen Suderman taking a look at the market. So join us then. We look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Take care, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.